Well, welcome to Someone You Should Know. And I have an amazing pioneer and reformer as a guest today. And this is, you know, part of a series that we've been doing. Um, also recommend you watch our Up for Discussion on the Mountain of Government that Elizabeth and I just got through doing. And that is uh, part of echoing a new narrative on the Mountain of Government. And so, first of all, um, Harry, I am going to tell them all about you. Well, welcome, first of all. Thank you. Yes. And and I want everyone to know uh, the caliber of um, expert you are and expertise you carry. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to read it because you'll see why when you, when you hear about it. But this is so you fully appreciate this someone you should know. And just after I read this, you're like, you're going to be saying, this is someone I should know. So Harry Hutchison is Senior Counsel and Director of Policy for the ACLJ, American Civil uh, Liberties. Wait, good. what does the J stand for? American Center for Law and Justice. The American Center for Law and Justice. Should have checked on that first. I, I know all about it, but I just forget what the letters stand for. He also serves as a frequent commentator on the Seculo radio broadcast. He has also appeared on the Sean Hannity Show. He has served as a professor of law at the Antonin Scalia Law School, George Mason University for more than a decade. He has also served as visiting fellow at Harris Manchester College, Oxford University, and as a founding fellow at the M.G. Robertson Global Center for Law and Public Policy. Currently, he serves as distinguished professor of law at Regent University Law School and as co-editor of Religious Organizations and the Law chapters 24 and 25. Uh, he has published more than 60 law review articles. He has published articles in the New York Times, the Detroit News, and the Detroit Free Press. He has also written more than 100 blog posts on matters of public policy, including failing public schools, religious liberty, and constitutional law. So I think you're aware that this person is qualified to talk about the matters. And we're going to introduce what I want to bring up right up front Harry, is your just-released book, Requiem for Reality, Crit Critical Race, Theocrats, and Social Justice Dystopia, Harry G. Hutchison. And so, um, well, again, welcome, uh, oh, thank you. Harry. And we're going to tell you more about this book in, in just a second. We want to make sure you fully um, remember all things about it. So first thing, uh, Harry, tell us a little bit about your process with this book. What began to uh, generate your desire to put this out? What I understand you've written, obviously, from what we've read extensively all over the place, but this is your first um, actual full-fledged book. And so just tell us a little bit about that, that process. Very good question. So um, I started this process of writing the book based on some of the scholarly work that I have completed in the past. And one of the things that I discovered over the last 20 to 25 years is that modern liberalism was failing the American people. Ooh. And so nowadays, Americans, they're waiting, yeah. but they don't know what they're waiting for. They are seeking liberation, Ooh. but from what? For whom? And so they are really, really puzzled. 
modern liberalism encourages us to be radically individual. And so we don't necessarily have strong relationships. Um, and many Americans live meaningless lives. Mm. As a consequence of that, new doctrines, new beliefs are easily absorbed by people that are searching for meaning. Yeah. And so now these doctrines have invaded government, the academy, uh, public schools, public teachers unions, you name it. But many of these doctrines had a source in Western Europe, um, particularly before World War II, with the so-called critical theorists mm. who immigrated en masse to the United States with the onset of Hitler. Mm. And so they have had, in my opinion, a very destructive impact uh, on US education wow. and particularly among cultural elites. Would you find that, not to interrupt that, but that's very interesting. Would you consider that to be kind of those who laid the foundation for what we call critical race theory today? I think that is correct. So they started out as critical theorists. Um, and then at elite schools like Harvard and elsewhere, something else emerged called critical legal studies. Then came critical race theory. But the real issue with respect to all of those theories is that they seek to destroy virtually every institution that lives. Why? Because they want to recreate the world in part because, and this is the bottom line, they're Marxists. So these are Marxist ideologies that have been smuggled into schools, into books, and into the minds of elite students. And so uh, recently there was a demonstration at Stanford University School of Law where an appellate federal judge was denied essentially the right to speak. Why? Because people said his language, his approach was harmful. It used to be the case in the United States that you could say something I disagreed with and I would then respond. Oh, yeah. The perspective increasingly today is we don't want to hear from anyone who's going to tell us something we don't want to hear. No, that that is uh, uh, that, that is so quite true. So, give us your definition of critical race theory. Well, critical race theory essentially assumes that race or ethnicity is the sole determinant of one's economic, educational, and carceral success. By carceral, I mean not something really that sophisticated. It means whether or not you're in prisoned or incarcerated. And so if you look at the data, certain ethnic groups, for instance, they have uh, less than stellar uh, economic success rates, but all ethnic groups, black, white, green, Asian, they are doing extremely well versus uh, people uh, in other countries. And if you drill down and you look at the data, you find that black women, for instance, in the United States, if you adjust for their parental income, the income of their parents, 
they are doing better than white males. Wow. And in fact, Syrian Americans, Korean Americans, yeah. Filipino Americans, they are doing better than white Americans. Wow. And that is one of the reasons why the students, uh, our Asian students have launched a lawsuit against Harvard and the University of North Carolina. They are being denied admission based on the criterion that those schools have specified. Good grades on standardized tests. And so now many of those schools, what are they doing? They wanna get rid of those standardized tests. But to go back to your original question, uh, critical race theorists believe that only race matters, number one. Number two, they believe it's baked into the system or baked into the cake, as they say. Yeah. And so it's something that in essence can never be overcome. And this has bred a new class of individuals called anti-racists. And if you actually follow those individuals, these anti-racists are profiting mightily off of this doctrine. They're earning $40,000 an hour, which certainly exceeds the average income of most Americans. And, and the second point I would make is critical race theory does not help the disadvantage. And it ultimately culminates into the following claim. Critical race theory uh, asserts that it is a revolutionary uh, theory designed to help those who are disadvantaged or oppressed. But in reality, it's a counter-revolution of privileged elites, and it delivers more income, more wealth, and more power to people who are already relatively wealthy. And that is really, really sad. And so if you look at corporations throughout America, they have spent millions, if not billions of dollars, advancing the cause of Black Lives Matter. But the question becomes, are you really changing the circumstances of African-Americans in poor communities? And the answer typically is no. No, I love that. I have written a note from reading the book that, that present critical race theory is not a revolution of the oppressed, but a counter revolution of the privileged elites. So it's the opposite of what it what it seems like. Have you um, been able to uh, let's see follow the money trail? Who is is there is, is there a financial engine? that is responsible for promoting, is there a financial center? Is, is there, can that be tracked? Who is actually promoting critical race theory? That's a very good question. And first I would concentrate, and I've looked at some of the numbers, at corporate America. So large corporations have found it financially beneficial to push critical race theory. Um, and so they've given huge amounts of money and then they use the fact that they've supported, let's say, Black Lives Matter right. or some other group in their marketing campaign in order to advance sales. And you see it at, let's say, ESPN, for instance. Uh, they have really pushed this agenda. But there's a larger issue. This agenda is tied to a worldwide effort. Mm. And some of this operates under the auspices, if you will, of the World Economic Forum. Yeah. 
And then that ties into the World Health Organization. Yeah. And then that ties into the European community government. And so at the very top levels, all of these forces are inter interconnected. But I would argue most of these forces are also being supported by principalities and powers, yeah. spiritual forces that we really don't talk about very right. much in terms of government discourse. I doubt seriously you're going to hear much of this talked about in the United States Senate or the U.S. Right. House. Um, many people will simply think you're being crazy. Yeah. But I think that's the reality that we have to face. And that's the reality that I hope Christians will begin to face with courage, right. but with something that I call informed courage, yeah. that they'll actually know what they're talking about when they engage in the battles ahead. No, that's that's really good. So if we trace and, and look for the economic underpinning for it all, the organizations you're talking about, I would call them the cabal, the new world order. It's just the core of everything that is has been exposed at a world, at a global level, the last two or three years, and that we would call straightforward evil that has other things in its agenda. And so there's the the economic engine, and what motivates them is what you just went into is rights. The under uh, uh, underreported aspect of it is the spiritual um, motivation behind it, the darkness that comes that comes with it. And for instance. Um, you know, I think in some way it, it disguises itself as being pro the oppressed. You know, it has this counterfeit Christian look like you're, would you not say so? I think you're absolutely correct. And part of that is many Americans, including some individuals who are Christians, they have a distorted understanding of Christ and his kingdom. Yeah. And so... Their view of Christ is being nice, uh, being compassionate. Meanwhile, uh, many of these ideas and doctrines, they're toxic. They're toxic to children in particular. Uh, they're toxic to the future of the nation. But it's also important to note that many of these elites, their allegiance is not to the United States. They don't really believe in the nation state. Mm -hmm. They're more at home in Paris or London than they are in, let's say, East Palestine, Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very interesting to note recently the bailout of the Silicon Valley Bank. That was the bank for wow. elites. Yeah. So some uninsured depositors had a half billion dollars in deposits. The president acted virtually immediately to bail out that bank. And yet the president and his uh, tr transport secretary have yeah. done very little for the people of East Palestine, yeah. Ohio. But the people in East Palestine, Ohio, they don't have a large number of degrees. They don't necessarily speak using the Queen's English or the King's English. And so... We, um, they just, they are despised, if you will, by many of the elites. Their cares and their concerns um, are put in a basket and those people are labeled deplorables. Yeah. 
And I think, and tell me if you wouldn't see it somewhat this way as well. I think there is, we'll say from these that I just call the, the cabal, the deep state, it's, it's a control mechanism for themselves. They actually artificially create a wound that would not normally exist in society. And they create it for their own purposes because they know at, uh, at key times, elections and other, when they have other agenda to advance, they work these, uh, these wounds in order to advance their controlling agenda. I think that's precisely correct. So if you look at an elite like Henry Kissinger, he was talking about a worldwide pandemic years yeah. before COVID-19. Right. And he suggested that it was a, a new pandemic. He didn't name it as COVID-19, that it was a huge money-making opportunity. Yeah. And so what the elites want is worldwide control, uh, and they want to be able to profit from it. So if you look at Klaus yeah, yeah. Schwab, for instance, he wrote a book entitled COVID-19 and the Great Reset. And he linked the Great Reset and he linked COVID-19 with social justice concerns. And, the so and social justice concerns, if you think about it, they came to the fore in the United States in the and in the world because of George Floyd's murder. Yeah. And so you had people demonstrating in Paris, in Sydney, Australia, and in right, London. Right. They didn't know anything really about this particular individual. And yes, the police should not have engaged right. in this misbehavior. I'm not justifying right. that. But that was a signal opportunity for elites to assume the moral high ground right. and to say, here we are. We are compassionate. Listen to us. And then with COVID-19, guess what? Uh, rose to the surface. Safetyism. And that's the gushing lifeblood of authoritarianism. Yeah. And so once we got yeah. people in Australia, New Zealand, America, Canada to fear COVID, they were willing to accept virtually everything that the government suggested. Um, and so we were enclosed in our homes. Right. Uh, we weren't allowed to worship right. in church um, in response to the least deadly pandemic in the last 2,000 years. Crazy. So it doesn't make a lot of rational sense, but it does make sense from the perspective of elites because this adds to their ability to control the populace. And if you read Klaus Schwab carefully, what does he want to do? He wants to shrink the world's population and allow the world to be run by what I would call a gang of super elites. Yeah. And, uh, and the high priest of the World Economic Forum is a guy named Yuval Noah Harari. Yeah. He's an Israeli. He wrote one of it. I think his last book is entitled Homo Deus. What does that mean? That's humans as gods in Greek. Yeah. And so the super elites will be equipped with chips. They'll become transhuman entities. And he argues explicitly 
that they will become divine. And so what we've seen is a move away from paganism to a form almost of self-worship with divinity being conferred on a super elite class. And they, in my opinion, are the true threat to freedom, to liberty, uh, and to worship. But I would also encourage listeners uh, and viewers to realize they will not have the last word. Yeah. And I think uh, Christians particularly need to go back and review uh, Elisha. He was surrounded. Yeah. But he said to his servants, open your eyes. There are more that are with us than against us. And so I think that's the encouraging message. But um, I also would encourage Christians to read more, to think about some of these issues a little bit more, ask themselves how they can in, get engaged in school boards, in uh, local elections, for instance, because lots of bad things happen at the local level. It's not just at the national level. Right. So in, in your book, and again, we'll tell you Rec Room for Reality, um, would you say a desired takeaway that you have for those that read this book is what you just stated, that they would understand, act, is it partially warning the people about the agenda, we'll say the woke ideology in general, uh, and kind of um, going piece by piece into the makeup of that ideology and exposing it. Is, is that the primary purpose for this book? And then That's a very important component. Yeah. And in fact, uh, one of my objectives in writing this book, and I don't quote the scripture in the book precisely, uh, but one of the scriptures that I encourage everyone to read is Ezekiel 33, 7. But if the watchman sees uh, the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes the life of one of them, that man will be taken away because of his sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for his blood. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. And so in some sense, this book is a warning mm -hmm. that if we simply sit on our hands, then bad things could happen. Now, I am certainly not God. Uh, I'm not, I don't understand completely God's timetable. And God can intervene sovereignly. But I also think we have a responsibility. He's given us a responsibility uh, to take action. And so one of the reasons why I title uh, the book Requiem for Reality is because a requiem is a funeral mass. And so reality and truth, those things will disappear unless I think the righteous stand up and be counted. No, that's 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 very good. That's very good. So, I think even what I read and what you're saying here, you make compelling uh, observation that this radical uh, agenda uh, we we call the critical race theory and other um, social justice matters, woke ideology, is really a radical agenda supposedly for the poor, 
but actually driven, defined, funded by the radical privileged class. Now, so if we, not that it's expanding it that much, um, we, we hear the term all the time, woke ideology. What would you say would be a or a couple of characteristics that are always there in woke ideology? Well, very good question. And one of the things that I would say in response is not all of the characteristics are always there when people use the term. But as I use the term, <laughs> basically I'm talking about individuals who are claiming that a single factor, for instance, determines our success, mm -hmm. whether it's race mm -hmm. or ethnicity. I prefer the term ethnicity because if you actually look at human history and you go to Africa, you find that black tribes are killing other members of other black tribes. Um, and the Irish, for instance, were considered, and I won't use the word here, uh, they were called a, yeah, yeah. a racially inflammatory name right. by other white people. So tribalism um, is one of the outgrowths of this woke ideology that you have to emphasize uh, uh, your whiteness. I have to emphasize my blackness. But the reality is really very different. Why do I say that? If you look at African-Americans, particularly in the United States, 80% come from a mixed race background. Certainly that's true of my own story from Southern Europe to Northern Europe to West Africa. Okay, yeah. And 20% of white people in the United States come from mixed ancestry. Wow. And then you have Hispanics and then you have Asians. And so- Really what, complicates when you start thinking reparations and anything like that, doesn't it? It does. And let me share you share with you this particular story involving Gabrielle Clark. You wouldn't know who she is. She's a black mother of a mixed race son in Las Vegas. Mm. Who's, her son was going to Democracy Prep, a charter school. And this school in one particular class demanded that her son unpack his privilege connected to various strands of DNA in his background. So to the extent that he had white ancestry, then he had to label that uh, as privileged um, and that it gave him certain advantages. But reality is quite different. Without that DNA, he would not be alive. Just like, and I think you have suggested this as well, David would not have been become king, but for perhaps incest. Yeah. But yet he said, um, at the end of the day, in my mother's womb, God, you knew me. Yeah. And so I think that's true of all of us. Right. And so woke ideology pushes us to focus only on one aspect mm -hmm. of our identity. Yeah. And, and basically says only that aspect determines our future, our success. Um, but it's very much untrue. The reality is the biggest determinant of success, if we we're just talking about economic success, is fatherhood. Right. Intact families. And that was really the legacy that 
my parents gave me and my siblings. We didn't have a lot of money when I was a kid. My mother wore the same winter coat for 20 years. Wow. But they did encourage me to go to school, to, I would read up to five to seven books a week because my dad would take us all to the library every week. And so one of the things that um, woke ideology does is it deprives many individuals of aspirations which I think are God-given because they look around and they say, only race matters. I'm not a member of the proper race or the correct race. And so therefore I cannot succeed. And so I think one of the biggest attributes or characteristics that I learned from my family was uh, the belief that no matter what, if I work hard, and this is not completely true, I can succeed. I mean, I'm going to concede to all of your listeners that I cannot beat Tiger Woods at golf, even if he only has one good leg. But at the end of the day, I can achieve lots of things if I'm willing to work. And that is the message that many Asian American families have given to their sons and their daughters and they're succeeding. But then the elites are saying, you're too successful. Yeah. And so rather than encouraging everyone to work hard, we're saying, oh, we've got to go back to one thing only, and that is race or ethnicity. Yeah, and in that, you know, we can, uh, being, we were pastors, Elizabeth and I were pastors for over 15 years, and we found just a, there's just a reality when you're pastoring people that the person, it doesn't matter if they're black, white, Latino, whatever, Mm -hmm. the person that loves to embrace victimhood, that they're a victim, no matter what it is, because there's all kinds of ways to actually be, uh, you know, abused and whatever. And, and it's unfortunate. It's not good. They should have the love of God for them. But whoever embraces victimhood, like I am a victim, it seems like it's almost impossible for them to experience breakthrough living, uh, it, it's just, and I think that's the real, the real, real downside of this type, this pathway of woke ideology. Um, it's not that some people aren't deserving of um, uh, compassion. It's it's definitely it doesn't help us. Uh, you know, we want to acknowledge, and, and if we have to do that. uh, right now this setting were blacks mistreated in america in many other places yes 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 were um were some of my uh parents and grandparents i don't know for sure because i think my grandparents from uh, sweden and and so um we don't know we don't know how that works but there was suffering there's no attempt here to bury that under a carpet somewhere. It was not just unfortunate, it was wrong, it was right. a sin, but um, there's something of, uh, there, there's something so uh, disempowering to just embrace something happened to me early in life and therefore I need, I don't just need a hand, a, a help from someone. I don't just need inner healing, prayer, something. I need somebody else to be hurt to make me better. Yes. I need somebody else to be diminished in some way, and that person or that 
part of society needs to be somebody that's um, in some way associated with with that person. So it just takes us all all the wrong down the wrong paths. Jesus, speaking of the spiritual components of it, you know, there was this whole thing: if any man in, is in Christ, he is a uh, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, male, female. There's this whole thing of coming. There's a, a coming into oneness with each other. We're all in his image. Yes. And this is, you can see that it's a very anti-foundations of Christianity approach what's taking place here, where instead of looking at, uh, uh, at, at life through that lens, we are looking to find the divisive aspect um, and the disempowering aspect right. of our own personal living. And so it, uh, it is, uh, it's just not helpful at all. Well, tell us something else or anything else about this book that, that really stands out to you think that would help people that you, that, um, I know there's multiple, multiple sure. uh, things. Well, well, uh, maybe I'll mention a couple of things. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I would point out is that Christians should note that there are individuals who claim to be Christians who are actually pushing critical race theory. And that. so, for instance, Jamar Tisby argues that when whites were born into the United States, and if you have a grandchild, when they came down that birth canal, they basically assumed the mantle of racism. And they argue that this is inescapable. And they are willing to reject God's sovereignty in order to support this ideology. And I think that is very scary uh, for Christians, people that claim to be Christians, to basically suggest uh, that God, for instance, can't heal, can't forgive um, anyone of racism, that it's eternal almost. Um, so that's really, really scary. Um, the second point I would make, which reemphasizes a point you made earlier, victimhood is one of the foundational bases of the entire critical race movement. But victimhood came into Western culture probably in 1913 with the debut of Stravinsky's ballet, Rites of Spring. Wow. And guess where Rites of Spring uh, was most celebrated? It was celebrated in Germany. And the an initial title for Rites of Spring was The Victim. And uh, René Girard, who is a po French polymath, he's wrote he's written a book called I Saw Satan Fall. And in it, he suggests that victimhood is now the most important outcome of transnationalism and international trade. It's victimhood, not goods and services. It's this idea that victims gain power and so some people uh -huh. want to claim victimhood yeah. status yeah. because they gain more power as victims. And so the last point I'll make in connection with that is, I don't know if you remember in Seattle, 
this was right after um, George Floyd's murder. Mm -hmm. They created a an autonomous zone called yes. Chad. Yes, yes. And then they ranked people on the basis of their victimhood. So for instance, that I didn't know. <laughs> so for instance, uh, a black lesbian was at the top. Wow. Uh, and then they had other categories of victimhood. And so there has been, I think, almost a voluntary move on the part of some people to embrace victimhood status. So the Edinburgh branch of the College Union of Great Britain has bought into all of this. And they now allow anyone to identify with a victimhood category, black, female, LGBT, you name it. All you have to do is say you identify. There, there doesn't need to be any evidence that you're black or brown. You just identify. And that is a phenomenon. Yeah, it is. That is amazing, but it... It's a testament to the power of victimhood. I'm getting that. So you identify as something. And so the whole point of it is to establish a higher ranking in victimhood because that empowers you. Yes. What a distortion from the pit that is. And then the people that are ranked as non-victims, they can be excluded. And so uh, I don't know if you saw the data, but one leading medical school, I think it was Stanford, their class of incoming surgeons, they had no white males, zero. And in our society today, a white straight male is seen as the leading category of being an oppressor. Uh, and so almost by definition, um, Essentially, they're claiming they can look at a person and say, you are an oppressor. Wow. And I think that's a very scary proposition. Yeah. So woke ideology and its end game or its end fruit, where, you know, apart from intervention from God, kingdom people, solutions, where does this ultimately take a society to? The, the woke ideology that we're talking about. Have you have you already played that out in your, your mind and your thoughts? Yeah, where and it? I've read some books even prior to write, writing this one. I think it leads to fracture and ultimately it can lead to violence. Uh, John Davidson Hunter wrote a book. He was much more perceptive than I in about 1990. And the book is entitled before the shooting starts. And he was talking about the increasing fragmentation in the West. Um, in part, the Westerners no longer share the same values. In addition, Westerners are very lonely people. Uh, and lonely people are easily manipulable. Um, and uh, Matthew, Schmitz kind of summarizes what's going on among millennials and post-millennials. Uh -huh. Now more than any previous generation, millennials and post-millennials will die alone, unattended 
by the spouses they never married, unremembered by the children they never had, unconsoled by the thoughts of a God they never knew. Having little, they will pass down less. And so that it's is it. difficult in this environment to be optimistic apart from God. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's exactly that. It, it's, um, it is uh, ideology, and I hate to be so strong with it, but it's ideology from hell. And once you know who is orchestrating it, who's funding it, and their ultimate intentions, which is, we know that the ultimate intentions, the World Economic Forum, the whole thing is depopulation. And so you're like, in fact, I've heard that really with all the ideology that comes out of <clears throat> the World Economic Forum and who, if you haven't really understood it, if you haven't found the anti-family depopulation angle of it. Yes. And so this is a, a control mechanism, hides itself a, a, a little better than we'll say obvious yes. abortions, yes. Um, but it's anti-family. Anti it's designed to tear down, break down anything that is actually kingdom fabric. Yes. Um, and it's going to fail. It's just going to fail yes. because sons and daughters of the king, like Harry Hutchison, are going to be a part of exposing it and then be a part of uh, assisting us in how to um, not just resist it, but bring solutions for getting us on the other side of this. So, um Harry, tell us some more uh, about this book. How can they get this? How can they get sure. this book? Um, well, anything else about it? So the book is available at Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, and bookstores everywhere. It is being distributed um, as well in smaller family-owned bookstores. Um, and I hope uh, readers enjoy it. Um, and... Um, Thank you, Johnny. Yeah, no, this is great. Of course, we've just begun on these on these conversations right here, and um, but this is uh, something some of you specifically know that you have an assignment, a call. This would be something mountain of education. Uh, it could overlap into some other things as well, but this is uh, something that um, we really, as kingdom individuals, need to begin. Um, getting the mind of the Lord, the strategies from God, how to even uh, bring in the new kingdom curriculum that fully exposes what the enemy is attempting to do. And I know the Lord's going to help us with it, with it as we arise and shine. So Harry, thank you so much for uh, spending this, this time with us. So, Harry, I would love it if you could just pray for those who are watching this uh, right now. Just whatever the Lord puts on, sure. on your heart, you have you have the heart for it. You know what God would want covered in that. So we would love that to be, um, you know, the parting thing we, we do here together. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come and that you would give the audience ears to hear, eyes to see, and that the spirit of life in Christ Jesus would now come and that you would propel listeners, viewers, uh, to go out, to, to wake up, uh, open their eyes, mm -hmm. and to enter into the battle. Mm -hmm. The battle is the Lord's, and you have overcome. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
All right. Well, this is great. And we look forward to seeing you again real soon on Someone You Should Know or Up For Discussion. Thank you very much. <music>